Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are we all doing out there today? It's great to see your smiling faces. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah, the ninth chapter. And uh, it is Christmas time of the year, which people feel is the most wonderful time of the year. And uh, to celebrate that, we've got snow and cold weather coming your way. And we also have a Christmas Eve service that I want to invite you out to. So 5 o'clock p.m. And, and I wanted to just have you invite a friend out, man. We love to pack this place out. One of my favorite nights of the year. And uh, it's going to be a great, great time. We're going to have candles. And we're going to have carols and kids. I don't know what could be more adventurous or more joyous. And if you have survived any of our Christmas Eve services, you know you don't like to miss them. So I look forward to it. It's going to be a great, great time. Uh, and then a friendly reminder that there is no service uh, next Sunday. Uh, the next time I'll have to cross this bridge, uh, a Christmas on a Sunday will be the year 2033. Thank God for that. So uh, <laughs> the theme verse for this series that we're in uh, is from the book of Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, I, I'm in a series just kind of breaking down uh, what the, this depiction of the Messiah. This is the this is the verse you read on Christmas cards, and it, it, it's speaking of Jesus and, and his, his birth. In verse 6, I want to read the verse. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He said, of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end upon the throne of David. And over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forevermore. So, Lord, we just thank you today that this truly is a day that you have made. I pray, Lord, uh, that hearts would be wide open, that we would grow in, in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord today, and we'd be able to celebrate with rejoicing uh, the season that we're in, the life that you have planned for us. And I, I just thank you, Lord, we could receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, I was thinking about, you know, Christmas memories past, it, and it was about 20 years ago when my father passed away in December. Now, he was only 54, which I thought was old at the time. Uh, you know, I, I know teenagers back there, you think 35 is old, but it will sneak up on you before you know it, and then it will be 40, and then 55 will be, and you'll be just like, you, like you'll think you are right now, man. It's incredible. <laughs> you know, in, in my... Uh, my father's place, though, I was blessed to have my grandfather. And uh, that, that's, of course, my 98-year-old grandma's uh, husband. And he lived to the ripe age of 95 years old. Now, we, we tried. <laughs> he had a great before his time. I mean, he, he was tough. <laughs> he had a great life. And you have to know him. Anyone remember my grandpa Kenny? He, he was a bit of a tease. And so, like Ebenezer Scrooge, in life, he reaped what he sowed. And uh, I used to tease him about being old. Um, I had such a great time, and I miss my grandpa at times like this. But, you know, the Bible describes a father who's even older than that. Here, it calls him the everlasting father. and one place, it calls him the ancient of days. And so, what I want to talk to you about in this series, it has to do with the everlasting father. Now, I have been just tearing the verse down. I've, I love studying verses of the Bible. And I don't think I've really ever studied this verse, you know, fully, what it means as we broke it down. But here, here's what's fascinating about it. It prevents us, presents us with a very interesting theological paradox. Because it tells us that a child will be born. 
And remember that in, in Isaiah 7, he's born of a virgin. So we have a virgin birth. Unto us a son would be given. And as a son, he was given on the cross in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then the verse later on goes on to describe that he is also an everlasting father. He's a son, he's, he's a child, and he's the everlasting father. And what's so interesting about this is what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He, when he said, I and my father are one. I mean, that, that's, a, a, that's what makes the mystery of the Trinity so interesting, that they're three distinct persons in one. He, he said, I and my father are one. You know what Jesus is? is he really is like the doorway. Uh, he is, he is the, the avenue, the pathway that we have to God. I mean, think about what Jesus said in John 14. He said, no man can come to the Father except through me. He, he is the pathway that we have to God. One could say that Jesus is the revelation of, he reveals the Father. He, he, he manifests who the Father is. And you know, in the book of Hebrews, it says, in the last days, God has spoken to us, not through prophets, but through his Son. And it tells us that Jesus is the expressed representation of God's likeness. In, in other words, everything that you see Jesus doing and modeling points us to who the Father is, what his will is. And, and, and so he's this perfect picture of what the Father is like. He's the Son. He reveals the Father. Now, I had a, a verse just stirring in my spirit all week. I was praying about you know, how to present this, how to speak on the fatherhood of God. I think if there's one member of the Trinity who's taught on the least, it probably would be God the Father. There's all kinds of books on the Holy Spirit. You read about Jesus. He's in all the History Channel documentaries. But when you study the Father, there's something so interesting about Him. And what I want to have us go over to is the book of James chapter 1. And I had this verse in my spirit. And what I want to highlight for us this morning, what I call principles of the paternal nature of God. I could call this the facets of his father, fatherliness. He, he's a father. And not only is he eternal in nature, remember, he's everlasting. He always existed. But he's also paternal, which means that he is fatherly. And the New Testament particularly reveals the ultimate depiction of who God is. That he is a loving father who cares about you and he loves you. And when it speaks of him, it tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that he said, I want you to be my sons and daughters and I will be a father to you. I love Ephesians chapter 3. It tells us that we should bow our knee to the father in heaven who has named everything in this earth. Everything is under the rule of the father. You know, the, the thing about having a father in your life, it has so many benefits to it. Having uh, not just the earthly father, but a heavenly father has incredible benefits. I mean, I think about what fatherhood provides. And his paternal nature provides us with an identity, a sense of who I am. And, and you know, in the modern world, we've got people today who are really in search of their identity. They, they struggle knowing who they are. It's so interesting. There was a, a show in the 1970s called Roots, and it was you know, a story of an African-American family who were looking for where they came from. They were seeking for a sense of identity. And I mean, if that doesn't sum up where so many people find themselves today, having a father in your life provides you with a sense of 
self-worth, the infinite value that a father has for his children. That's exactly how God thinks about you and I. We, we have such value in the eyes of God that he was willing to go to incredible lengths so that you and I could be members of his family. Or, or, or the fact that it gives you this great sense of assurance that heaven is my home. I, I have a home. It's not in this world. It's in the one to come. I'm a citizen of that kingdom, and I have a father in heaven who cares about me. So what I want to highlight for you are these uh, principles of his paternal, fatherly nature. And I want to start here in James 1, in the 16th verse, when he wrote this, he said, Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. He said, and this is the verse that was just stirring in my spirit. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And the Bible says it comes down to us from the Father of lights, with whom it says there's no variation or shadow of turning. Now, when I look through these verses to study them out, different translation, commentary, there is one theme that sticks out in the verse. And it describes the goodness of God, that God the Father, the first thing you got to know about him is that he is good. That's what we sing about. He's a good, good father. I mean, his goodness is real. It's palpable. It's, it's revealed in this verse. He's just. He's fair. That means he's morally excellent. He, he's righteous in, his, in what he does. He, he is a good God. He's virtuous. And everything that flows from God the Father, everything that originates uh, with God at its source, the scripture says here, is good. And I think about how the Bible describes God. Uh, when the Lord passed before Moses in Exodus 34, his mercy passed before him, his, his abundance passed before him, and, and he said the Lord abounds in goodness. That's how God described himself. That's right. yeah, the, the psalmist said that he had a good spirit. He said that we could taste and see that the Lord is good. And when Jesus was questioned by the Pharisees, he, he said there's no one good except for one. That's God. Jesus said that. He said God is good. Now, I started with the 16th verse. Because the Bible says in verse 17, God is good. But just before he said that, he said, Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. See, what you have to understand is there's so many people in the world today who have uh, the wrong perception about who God is. They don't really have a full understanding. They're deceived about his nature. And, and it's like they, they blame him for some of the hardships, some of the trials, some of the frustrations that they go through in life. And, and, you know, it's easy to blame him. He's a soft target in some ways. I mean, if something happened catastrophic, if a, a loved one died, it's easy to blame God for doing that. I remember, you know, my grandma had told me uh, that I think it was like 1954. And, and she said she was sitting in the kitchen listening to the radio. And she heard a man preaching on their name, Oral Roberts. And he made the statement that God is a good God. And to her Lutheran mind, that was like pretty preposterous. I mean, think that's where society was at the time. They thought that was crazy to think that God could be considered good. I mean, think about how far the theological pendulum has swung, even in the time that she was living. She, she said, man, I, I don't know if I could even hardly believe that, that God is a good God because of the hardship she went through. But what the Bible tells us here is that he's good. How could you say that we have a good God? Seeing what's happening? Look at what's happening in the world today, like in the Ukraine. I mean, have you seen what's happening over there in, in Russia and the Ukraine? These poor people are without heat. 
People are getting killed. They're starving. I mean, what a terrible crisis of humanity. And I thank God we get to sit in America. We get to enjoy uh, heat, heat in buildings, warm water, plenty of food. I mean, it's a crazy time. Did you see what's happening in El Paso at the border? I mean, they've got thousands of migrants who were trying to get in. In fact, the latest report I read, they were hiding out in the sewers to keep warm and coming up through the streets. I mean, th- these are just wild things that you see here at the holidays. And, and here up here, you know, people don't come this far north because it's about to get cold, brother. <laughs> but I mean, man, there's, and, and we got fentanyl crises. We've got drug addiction problems. I mean, there, there's problems that exist in the world. And when he said, do not be deceived, the previous verse tells you exactly why. It says, because when sin grows, it gives birth to death. And the problem that we have in the world today that people get deceived about is that sin creates all these conditions. The sin and the curse that's in the planet is what creates the problems where people get deceived and never recognize how really, really good God is. God is a good God. Yeah, you remember that church? We used to say God is good, and y'all would say all the time. All the time. God is good. You remember that. Yeah. Psalm 52, you know what it says? It says, his goodness endures continually. That means God has always been good. His goodness existed in the garden of Eden when he made the planet. He looked at what he made at creation. He said, it's good. His goodness was revealed in Noah and his family when he took his family in an ark and saved him. His goodness was revealed in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the 12 patriarchs and with whom he made a covenant. His goodness was revealed in Jesus on the cross so that you and I live in a time when God is not angry with you. Did you know that? He's not angry at you. He's given us grace, and we can come before him, and he loves his people. Amen. And you know, David said, I would have lost heart if I had not believed I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the here and in the now in the land of the living. And he's good now, and he'll be good in the days to come, and he's got a beautiful future for you. I mean, his goodness is continuously enduring. And when you think about the thoughts and the intents of his heart, it's only and always good. That's what he said in in Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, the thoughts I think towards you, to give you a future and a hope. I think sometimes the reason why people don't always perceive that he's good or think he's good is because we tend to, you know, look at, uh, you know, we tend to pass judgment on people's intentions. We, we tend to think that people maybe hurt you for, for, on purpose, or, or you kind of look at situations and think, it, you know, that they did that for a reason, and, and it's so easy to fall into the trap where you, you just kind of think, man, that had to be intentional. And, but with God, everything he does is good. His, his intentions, his thoughts towards you are always good. You know, he's so good, the book of Romans, chapter 2, tells us that it's his goodness that causes repentance in your life. His goodness is the thing that convicts you so you turn away from sin. His goodness is the reason why he's trying to help you. Because, you know, sin is something, if you let it entice you, it'll grow. It'll take you further than you wanted to go. That's what verse 15 says. It, it, it grows, it's conceived, and it brings forth death. And if you let it run wild, it can ruin your life. But his goodness is what turns us away from sin. You know, I've had three occasions in my life where the Lord spoke to me to avoid 
certain people or certain situations. He did it supernaturally. And, and I just remember each time it hit me so hard, I was warned and I turned and went a different direction. Um, and that's his goodness. And what I found out is that his goodness is something that also grows. You know, because if you want to be theologically fair, you, you go to Romans chapter 11, and the scripture tells us that we should consider the severity of God and the goodness of God. And he said his goodness happens if you continue in it. If you continue in his goodness. Man, I can tell you I have lived long enough to experience his goodness. The path of the just is like the shining of the sun, which shines ever brighter the perfect day, which means the more I walk with him, the closer I get to him, the better my life gets. That's his goodness. I don't have to look back with regret. I, I can embrace what is ahead of me knowing that I've got a God who wants to shine his light of favor on me. The goodness of God in my life. You know, the thing about his goodness is it's really what connects you to the call of God. There's a verse, 2 Thessalonians 1, which tells us that the good pleasure of his goodness will be revealed in your life as you walk it out. Speaking about the call of God, I want to highlight to you the next thought here in the 18th verse. He said, of his own will. Someone say, of his own will. Of his own will, it says, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Here's what this tells me. That God has a divine plan for your life. He is a good father and he has beautiful plans and purposes. A divine plan for your life. In other words, it's like an ordained purpose, which Scripture says happened even before the foundations of the world. Do you realize that before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. He had a purpose for you. That's what he said to Jeremiah the prophet. He said, when you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. I formed you. And he's got that purpose and plan of a person in their mother's womb. That's why abortion is such a wicked thing. It snuffs out the potential of a person. He, he, he said in the book of Ephesians, that when you become a Christian, when you get saved, you become the handiwork of God. Like, like he, he, his, his life, his purposes, they get worked out. And those things are in motion as you're walking out the plan of God with him. Now, I believe in what we call the authority of the believer. I believe that Christians have authority over the devil. And this was revealed back in the Garden of Eden. I mean, Adam you know, was given the chance to name the animals. And he tended the garden. He kept the garden. He, there was authority that was given to him to do that. But I also like to remind people that God did name Adam. That he named Adam. And in doing that, he's just demonstrating that he is a father and has authority over his creation. The way that authority is manifest in your life, the way it works, is that you and I, you know, we get to have things like free will. Free will is what allows you to eat as much as you want to eat at Christmas. I mean, you can eat to your heart's content. <laughs> you can go into debt buying Christmas presents. He's given you choices. He's given you decisions that you make. And in doing so, he's also given you consequences. That's what happens when you've been given authority. It, it, it's, you get to reap everything up, the goods, the bads. I mean, that's part of what it is to walk with God and know him. Yeah. When he said, of his will... Uh, he's brought us forth by the word of truth. You know, his will is what uh, sort of implies his sovereignty over our life. 
Acts 17, Paul's at Mars Hill, and he's telling everybody, when he's, when he's witnessing to them, he, he said, God predetermined the times and the borders of nations in the world. Listen, you, you had no decision over who your parents were. That would be a good place to make a joke, but I'll refrain. <laughs> you, you had no choice in the time that you were born. You, you didn't have any, any decision-making in, in the times that you're living in, the place you were born, where you're at. You know, like Esther, it says she was here for such a time as this. And I believe God has put you here for such a time as this. You're not an accident. There's, there's a purpose. There's a plan. The God that we're dealing with, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows the very hairs of your head, and he put you here for a season. That 17th verse, it says that every good and every perfect gift. Another thing you have no control over was the gifts that God gave you, the particular skill set that you have. Like, you know, some people are just natural encouragers. I like to encourage people. It's something that comes easy to me. It's, it's just part of what I do. You know, some people have mercy gifts. Other people, not so much. <laughs> and I, there's no choice over it. It's just the way God wired you. It's, it's, it's the way that he puts you together. You know, I, I like sports. I, I kind of like feeling athletic. I like working out. But I have an eight-year-old who it doesn't feel like that's necessarily his gifting. He's really more into dressing up like a character from the 1800s than he is playing sports. But I, I, there's no control over that. That's the way he's wired. Some people are athletic. Some people are musicals. Uh, some people are jerks. <laughs> no, you, you, can, uh, you can grow in your weaknesses. You can get things worked out. Mm-hmm. But there is a thing, that is a way that God wired you. That, that gifting is there. All right? Now, the thing about the will of God, of his will he brought us forth, the will of God is not nebulous. It, it's not a, a, ambiguous and floating out there. I mean, there's a specific plan for your life. It's, it's tailored. And there, there's multiple ways you could discover it or find out. The, the primary way you really should know the will of God for your life would be to know his word. If you want to know what the will of God is, read your Bible. It's revealed right there. You know what the Bible tells us is that you and I have been redeemed from the curse of the law, Galatians chapter 3. In other words, he, he didn't want you to live in such a way that you're poor, broke, busted, disgusted, have a bad attitude all the time. He redeemed you, it says, from the curse of the law. It tells us that the blessing of Abraham <coughs> might come upon your life. That's his will. I believe his will is to heal people. I, I mean, by his stripes, the Bible says you were healed. I, I pray for the sick, regardless of if they get healed or not. I pray for them. That's my conviction. I believe that is the will of God. I believe it's the will of God in your life to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Like You can grow with him. You can walk with him. You can know him. That is his will. His will is for you to draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. And that's one level of discovering the will of God. It's knowing his word. If you just knew his word, you could walk in his will for your life. Not that hard. Now, uh, other times... You know, the will of God has to be revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. I like what Paul said. Eyes not seen, nor is ear heard, nor have entered the heart of a man. The things that God has prepared for those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. And you know, in my case, I, I prayed, I sought the Lord. I believe God showed me what to do with my life. In fact, I had something really interesting. I was sitting here this morning. I was enjoying worship. Great job, worship team. I was ministered to. And I had this sensation in my spirit that I'm right where I need to be in the will of God. It hit me firm. It hit me. I just thought to myself, man, I, am, I feel the will of God working out in my life. I, 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 feel, I, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in the place I need to be. I, that was revealed to me 
by the Holy Spirit who gave me peace and a burning desire. And I, I don't know, maybe you sit there and you think, man, I want to know what the will of God is for my life. Seek the Lord. Draw near to Him. Watch Him speak it to you and breathe it to you. And my advice would be, as you walk in what He showed you, it'll start becoming more and more clear. See, that's, what a lot, that's where a lot of people miss it, is they just they get frustrated or concerned and they just stop there. They don't understand we've got a Father of lights. And, 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 and so He gives you light to your path. That's what His Word is. A lamp to your feet, a light to your path to show you what to do. He said of His own will, He brought us forth. Uh, that, that we might be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is such, such an interesting couple of verses. I studied it out. You're like a first fruits. Picture like a plant uh, that's so, like, a, like a tree. You're, you're, you're like that, that creation or that creature. And when the scripture says in verse 17 that he, he's the father of lights and there's no variation or shadow of turning, what that implies is like the earth's rotation and how, it, you know, we're in winter now, so the planet tilts... And so there's a change in seasons, but it's the same God. See, the seasons of your life might change, but God doesn't change. His will is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you might go through various seasons. Seasons where it feels like fall. Seasons where it feels like winter. Seasons of spring. Seasons of harvest. (laughs) Man, I feel the Holy Spirit sitting on me. (laughs) I'm telling you, you might be in the season of motherhood the season of fatherhood. You might be in the season of seniorhood, which is why we're having Senior Connect coming up. <laughs> Different seasons of life. How to be a dad, how to be a, a father, how to be a, a parent. The season of singlehood, that's a fun season. <laughs> 20-somethings, a teenager. I mean, different seasons that you're in. Mm. I, I just sense the Holy Spirit. So, I'm telling you, sometimes people question what season they're in. And just because it might be a dark season in your life, just because it might be winter and things might feel cold, it doesn't mean that you're not in the will of God. It just means that you go through seasons, and, and seasons shift, don't they? Woo! Some of you are about to experience seasons shifting. Oh, I feel it. Seasons will change, and it's the same God who works all things out. Yeah, seasons. I'm telling you, he, he, the Father put everything under control in the seasons of life. He has got you. You know, all of creation is responding to the fatherhood of God. Creation itself is groaning and looking for his fatherliness. Uh, he, he reveals himself as the father of lights, the giver of life. And all of creation is eager. For, you and I are like the first fruits. That means we're, we're like the seed that he's sown on this planet. And that means he's got a purpose and a plan that he will bring to pass in his own time. I just had the verse this morning. I was sitting there in uh, Acts chapter 1. And remember, the, the disciples were saying, well, when are you coming? And he said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. There's times and seasons in, in the plan of God for your life that are all part of his plan. And if you really, really want to discover what those are, then you've got to understand the third point I want to make. Look, look at verse number 19. He said, so then, my beloved brethren, that's all of us sitting up in this church house this morning. That, Let every man be swift to hear. This is the verse we like to give people in marriage counseling. Be swift to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to get angry, because he said, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then he said, therefore, 
verse 21. You got so then in verse 19, and you got therefore in verse 21. It's all telling us the same thing. He, uh, lay aside all filthiness and overfl- overflow of wickedness. You're grumbling, you're complaining, you're cussing people out. Stop doing that, he said. And receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with humility, one translation says, which is able to save your soul. Here's, here's what you got to know about how good God is. He, he's good. And as a father, all that God is asking of us is for our submission. He wants you to submit to who he is. That, that's really the, the greatest thing he's after. He wants you to believe his word and receive it in your heart. That's what that means. He, that's the thing that honors him more than anything else. It pleases God the most. When you hear his word and you believe it and receive it in your heart, he, he loves that. Without faith, the scripture says, it's impossible to please him. So he hears, he, he, when you hear a word from the Lord and you humbly receive it, when it comes into your spirit, into your heart, like a little seed, and you begin to act on it and walk it out and submit to it, boy, that pleases him. Let me back it up with another verse from the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9. And what the Bible speaks about, I think we have it on the screen, Hebrews 12, 9. It says uh, that we have human fathers who've corrected us, and we paid them respect. And so it tells us, should we not readily, that means quickly, be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? This is who God is, man. He is a father. And sometimes as a father, he might take you through something that, that, that corrects you, disciplines you. I mean, he might have to deal with some things in your life. Here's the thing I've discovered about life. Life is good. I mean, it's snowing at Christmas. But life is hard. It's snowing at Christmas. Lots of snow. Lots of cold. Life is good. Life can be hard. But I have discovered that if I will submit myself to the will of God, if I will sub- just believe his word, yeah, then it will deal with my bitterness, bondages, frustration. All it takes for me is to submit myself to him. I'm just gonna, I, I, that, that's all he's asking. I, I'm going to comply with what he said to do. I'll do it. You know, you've got to submit, though, sometimes. It's just what these verses said. The first thing you ought to submit if you want to walk in the will of God uh, would be your attitude, which is why he told us to shut up. <laughs> Be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Let all that filthiness and complaining and bitterness and frustration and, and your frustration with the government and with the cold weather. Hey. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. I'm in this season of life with little children. And I found little children get angry. And especially as they've gotten older. But I really discovered it at school. After school, they're hangry. They're hungry. They've been hanging out with other snot-nosed, sticky-fingered kids. And they come angry. And, and, I, and I was complaining about this to Pastor David. I was like, man, I got some attitudes. And he said, oh, well, uh, they're going to have attitudes. And it's either going to happen when they're teenagers or when they're little. So you might as well learn how to deal with it. <laughs> but, you know, when you're angry, it doesn't produce righteousness. That's what the verse says. Being angry, getting frustrated does not please God. It doesn't help the situation. What a theological nugget. The, the wrath of man. You're upset at situations in life is not 
going to please God. It's not going to aid the situation. It doesn't make you grow closer to the Lord in any way at all. Instead, he said, you've got to receive with meekness, receive with humility the implanted word which will save your soul. I, I just have to receive what God says. It, it, when I got saved and when that word came into my heart, and I want to, if he says to be generous to people, I could be generous to people. Put him first in my life with my money, I can put him first. If he tells me to forgive people, to turn my other cheek, to pray for people that have, I can do that. I can submit to his will regardless of what my attitude said. And in doing this, you can find the plan of God and the goodness of God will be revealed to you. Yeah. So you submit an attitude. You also sometimes have to submit your ambitions. Philippians 2 verse 3. The, the scripture said uh, that in, in all, we, we should lay aside all uh, self-ambition and conceit and think of other people highly. Uh, think, think, be humble yourself is what it says. I think if there's a pervasive and, and real problem, a reoccurring problem in the church today, it would be the ambition of people in the ministry. And I could say that for myself because it's something I've had to deal with, I've had to be confronted with, but what people do today in, in the world, it's like we equate, you know, successes with a sense of security. And so when things go well and you feel like, oh, I've got numbers, <laughs> nickels, noses in the seats, butts in the pews, you, you, you think, man, but that's not where a sense of security comes from. A sense of security can only come from having a father in your life that loves you. The love of God. You know what Jesus said, John 8? He said, I only do those things that please the Father. And when I think about, like, you know, myself as a pastor, I, I really am, am I'm not there, but I'm growing in this place where I just want to do what pleases God. I, 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 I'm, you can get caught up trying to compete with people. You can get caught up trying to be the biggest. But you just really aren't, you have to just please God. That's all that he's after. I want to please God. I, I want to know him. I want to grow with him. My motive is to submit to his will. I can feel that stirring in my spirit, man. I want to submit to the will of the Lord in my life. I, I, that's what I want with my life. I want to submit it and lay it before him. So act, attitudes you could submit, ambitions that have to be submitted before him. And in some cases, that means you've got to submit activities. It is inter- that, that's called a pursuit. It is interesting to me that in the in the 11th verse, he said, the rich man will fade away in all of his pursuits. See, sometimes you and I end up doing things or, or, or trying to you know, get in a place in life that you're pursuing something which isn't his will. And I've had to lay things down that have not been his will. I remember when I first got saved, I got radically turned around, man. And I mean, I like sports. I love watching football. I played ball all my life, played basketball. And I went through a moment where I, I got right with the Lord, and it was like, man, I laid all that down. It didn't appeal to me. I, I gave it over to the Lord. I laid down that pursuit. I've seen people do the same thing with relationships. That's why they go from boyfriend to boyfriend, girlfriend to girl, because they're, they're looking for a sense of security in there. It's the wrong pursuit. It, it's what happens with people when they try to follow money, and they, they, they end up hurting people and going through bad relationships because they think that's going to bring them security. And, and 
Well, all we need to do is follow his pursuits. I believe that if you will submit yourself to the will of the Lord this year, if you'll follow him, if you'll lay down ambitions, if you'll lay down the attitude, you can experience the best 2023 you could ever have, man. You go harder after God than you ever have before. You can pursue him in the new year with great things in your life. Amen? You believe that? Mm. I believe it. Now, my dad died you know, when I was 20. And then my grandfather died. But I still have a father, a heavenly father, who loves me. And the longer that I have walked with him, the more of his goodness I've experienced in my life. You believe that? His goodness is revealed in our life. Now, maybe this morning, maybe you have not been so associated with his goodness. I've met people like that. I, I've met people who struggle hearing that God is good. They, they, it's like, I, I don't know, my life hadn't turned out that way. Is that really how good it, God is? But what the Bible says about itself is that God is good. And I have discovered that. I, I, I mean, people, that's why he said, don't be deceived. People get the wrong idea about who he is. And if you would just get to know him, I'm telling you, his goodness would be in your life. And you know what's great? It's a long-term goodness. Yeah, it endures continually. And the Bible says in Romans 8, he makes all things work out for good. And it may not look like that in this season, but God makes it look good in the end. That's the beauty of who he is. Man, I love that about him. Or, or you know, maybe you, know, you, you wonder what the plan of God is for my life. I bet you if I asked you, a lot of people in this room wouldn't really know specifically what God has for them, what a specific plan is for their life. That might be the biggest question that I'm asked as a pastor. What is the will of God for my life? What's the plan that he's got? And my advice, as I said, is to seek the Lord, walk in his ways, and the, the closer you get to it, the more real it becomes. It's really true. That's a part of just his goodness. It's, it's revealed. It's progressive. It's it's when you walk, we're, we're like that creature with the sunshine. And, and, and yeah, you might go through some seasons in life, but man, he makes it beautiful in the end. He's got such a great plan mm, to all generations. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. You want to know that plan? You want to walk in that plan? You want to fulfill the will of God for your life? Because you got this one life. And it will come by fast, man. Mm. Or, you know, it could be that you got to submit yourself to the will of God. Now, I'll tell you a little secret. I get impatient. I know you don't struggle with that. But I, I get impatient. And sometimes I'm like, God, will you hurry up? <laughs> don't, don't laugh because you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. <laughs> and if you're not careful, you can let that attitude of impatience or frustration get in the way. And we just read it, man. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't move the ball along any faster. I mean, your anger, your frustration, your resentment, bitterness... It is not going to be the thing that gets his hand of favor to move in your life. What it's going to be, what's going to require is I'm submitting to who he, I'm submitting to his father, his fatherly approach in my life. He's the father of my spirit. And if I walk with him, I will live. This is who he is, man. He's the father in your life. Yeah. Anyone ever think they could use some help submitting to what God might be saying to you? Yeah. I know that happens to me. Yeah. So father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for your hand in our life. Mm, I pray that we would experience the goodness of God yeah, in the next year like we never have experienced it before. 
goodness in, in, in our lives. Your, your, your goodness, and I pray your plans and your purposes uh, over the people of this church. Thank you for revealing yourself. And how, Lord, I just thank you for good plans. A better, a better, brighter year. Better plans. Give us insight, give us ideas, give us wisdom. Some of you, I feel like, are faced with struggles, particularly in business situations. And the Lord is going to give you answers and insights on what to do. He's going to give you plans, and he's going to show his goodness on your behalf. And you're going to finish strong. Father, I thank you oh, for the beautiful next year that's ahead of us. Lord, I pray that we would just have the maturity, the strength, the wisdom to submit to the will of God, the plan of God in our lives. Oh, I thank you, Lord. You've got a good plan. And we're going to walk in it. Your people are going to walk in it. Every day, we're going, to, we're going to do what you say. We're going to love people. We're going to put you first. We're going to honor you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Mm. Man, I, I just feel my spirit being stirred I, about being in the will of the Lord, about how good it is to just have a loving father. He loves about you. He cares about you. You know, f- family is so interesting dealing with, like, fatherhood. Now, if you ever met my grandpa Kenny, you know, <laughs> he, he was quite a teaser. And then I came along in his life, and I teased him back, man. And you know, now I have an eight-year-old, and he's now starting to tease me. <laughs> you can see that the nature, it, it, that's what Scripture says. It's, it's the seed that get, it produces after its own kind. And if you have God as your father, you know what that seed's going to be? is love and peace and mercy and joy. And if you're sitting here this morning, and you really don't have love in your heart, you don't have peace in your heart, if there's no joy... It means you probably aren't acquainted with the Father. And all it takes for you is to receive Him as a Father and walk in His ways and watch that naturally come out in your life. And it will happen. And so maybe you have no peace this morning. I mean, that's what we're going to look at next uh, Saturday night at Christmas Eve service when you want to come out is the peace of God, an internal sense of peace that can only come from having Him as the Father. And I want every head bowed, every eye closed. If there is no peace, if there's no love, if you sense, I just need Him in my life, I want to give you a chance to put a hand up. I want to pray with you for the peace, the joy, the love of the Lord to be there with you, growing in grace and goodness. Yeah. In Jesus' name. I I, I tell you the truth, I don't see a hand up in here, which means that you are going to need to invite someone out next Sunday, or next, next Saturday night. Next Sunday morning, we won't be here. Next Saturday night, we will be so. Invite someone out to church. Let's stand up this morning. I want to thank you for coming out to Bethany Church. We value you. We love you. We bless you. If you want to pray, maybe you want to pray about the will of God for your life. Maybe you're having uh, something you're struggling with with sin that you can't seem to break through on. Maybe there's an attitude problem that needs to be corrected, man. We will pray with you here at the altars. We'll love on you. Uh, We'll see that the Lord will work in your life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I love you, man. And, and we'll catch you all next week in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. And I, Terry Lee, could you come on down here? I want to pray with you. Love you all very much. I'll catch you all next week.
for Christmas and a happy new year. So bring us some figgy pudding. 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 And a cup of good cheer. We won't go until we get some. We won't go until we get some. We won't go until we get some.